We are in the midst of a series called Unbreakable. And our hope is that by focusing on practice, practices that are proven to help individuals and groups become strong and resilient, that we will help equip you to better face the constant pressures, pains, and fears that life throws at us and be in a stronger position to be the hands and feet of Christ to all those who cross our path. Last week, Dan spoke about encouragement. Encouragement is that wonderful desire to seed into the life others, uh, other, uh, to the life of others, words and actions that basically say this: "I'm with you. I believe in you. I have something I want to give you that will help you face your fears." And this week, we're talking about communication and the lack of it. You know, we live in a world that's known for soundbite and drive-by communication. Listening is a little bit of a lost art. There's times I wonder where, whether anyone is thinking before they speak. Everyone has a, an opinion on just about what? Everything. But often those opinions, to be honest, aren't very thoughtful. And just about everyone thinks that they are communicating. And if you asked them, they'd say, we are communicating well. George Bernard Shaw said this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. As followers of Christ, we're not called to be part of the communication problem in our world. We are called to model a better way. And what does that look like? First and foremost, I think we have to adopt the posture of the learner. Eric Hoffer, who is referred to as the longshoreman philosopher, wrote this. He said, in times of change, learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Read it with me. In times of change... Learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. When we think we're learned, when we think we know everything about everything, when we become too full of ourselves, one of the consequences of that is that we think we're right all the time. And being right all the time is a terrible, terrible, terrible illness. It really is. It's a terrible illness. Learners say this. I could be wrong. We say that with me. I could be wrong. Come on. I didn't see everybody do it. I just go, I could be wrong. Now, there's gas going on all over the auditorium as people are looking at someone they came with and says, I can't believe those words came out of your mouth. I've never heard that before. When we're too full of ourselves and we're not full enough of Christ, when we know we shoot our mouths off about things we know too little about, we actually stifle the creative, life-giving communication process that God intends for us to have. And when we stifle anything of God, we call that sin. And it's something we have to watch out for. What does that more godly communication style look like? Well, first of all, it's inviting. 
It's not nasty. That's why I turn off the radio so often. (laughs) And TV stations, because it's nasty sometimes. It's learning to say what we mean in a way that helps people want to listen. It's listening for understanding. It's a communication style that values others and seeks to gain more information, not less. It's a communication style that stays the course and doesn't give up. It's a style of communication that is saturated in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and the big one, self-control. It's a a communication style that serves us well in the normal pace of life, but is able to up its game when time gets hard. It's a style of communication that readily admits that I don't know what I've said until you've told me what you've heard. It's a style of communication that just smells like Christ. Now, the early church had to learn to communicate, not just the good news to others in their proclamation, but to communicate in a way that showed each other they were intending to be good news for each other. In the Acts of the Apostles, we see the early church trying to make sense of who they were and what they were to do. And folks, there were some messy, hard moments. Holy moments, but messy nonetheless. Now, the passage we will look at today is part of the mess. It's the early church having a rather robust discussion, and we won't see all of that discussion, obviously, but about what the faith should look like. Questions were how open would it be, how inclusive, what's essential and what not, what's not. And to me, sometimes the bigger question in this, as I read through the New Testament, is I always wonder, how do strong personalities and leaders solve problems? Because if, in the early church, if they didn't communicate well, the entire trajectory of Christianity could have been altered. We're looking today at just a few verses pertaining to something called the Council at Jerusalem probably 15 to 20, 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to read it together. We're going to read the first six verses together, and then I'm going to take over and read something that Peter had to say that day. Will you join me? Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this made believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Let me take it the rest of the way. And he said, brothers, 
You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of Gentiles a yoke that we, neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we, that we are saved, just as they are. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's make sure we get this. Circumcision was the presenting issue. Uh, But the elephant in the room was really how Jewish would this Christian movement really end up being. Now the Pharisees, and it's obvious some Pharisees converted, right? But they were still Pharisees. They still asked hard questions. The Pharisees were standing their ground, persuasively asking the question, are you asking us to stand against Moses? Now, that's a great question. I don't know if you notice in your Bible, when you turn to the left here in the Bible, there's a lot about this guy named Moses. He's really big. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot written about him. And he was, they were saying, you really want us to stand against what Moses had to say? After all, God spoke directly to Moses, and then Moses spoke to us. The text tells us that after a long discussion, they reached a conclusion. It doesn't tell us this, but I'm willing to bet this was a long, heated discussion. Come on, you had the Jewish traditionalists on one side, the Gentile lovers on the other. Peter was known to be a little, you know, hot-headed at times. Paul was known to have an opinion or two on just about everything. And there's a good chance, scholars tell us, that Mary was there, chiming in. Maybe saying things like, well, (laughs) as the mother of God, (laughs) I have a thing or two two to say about this matter. And you know what? You never get a Jewish mother agitated. It's trouble if you do. Here's what I know. Religious customs and traditions are not easy things to talk about. Go to a Southern Baptist church next week and start suggesting to them that sprinkling should be the new norm for baptism, and you've got to fight on your hands. Tell the Amish that separating themselves from everybody else isn't really necessary for faith. Well, you might get run over by a buggy, and God help you. If you tell anybody in this church we're replacing the donuts with saltines, oh, baby, you've got problems. By the way, I need to say this. We are not doing that. <laughs> it hasn't even been up for discussion. <laughs> you know, one of, the biggest, one of the biggest events of church, when we moved the donut someplace, it was, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard for us. Church splits actually occur over all kinds of things because people can't talk, talk deeply about deeply held preferences, let alone deeply held convictions. Now, we know this decision to allow Gentiles into the church was the right one. Just from a practical consideration, just reading this as a guy, I, you know, I, I don't know many grown men who would choose to stand in line to be circumcised. How, how, any of you here? <laughs> the simple decision, that simple decision, the simple decision that they made, if they would have made the other one, it could have stunted the growth of the church to the Gentiles. 
And it's clear God wanted the church to grow, and grow it did. And it grew on the back of a message of God's grace and love, unmerited favor, not on rules and traditions. But I don't think this was an easy decision to reach, but reach it they did. When the going got hot, and I believe it did, I think they found a way through. They came to a consensus of opinion. They stayed in the process. They learned from each other. I think that they took on the status of a learner. Now, how did they get there? What happened? Uh, one of the things you don't know about me, aside from being a Brad Pitt lookalike, I, I did a year of graduate study uh, in communication style and theory. Studied it hard, whole year. And what I learned kind of boils down to this, that good communication is about stopping, looking, and listening. That's what I think happened in Jerusalem. I think that's what needs to happen in our families, in our workplaces, in our small groups. We need to be people, unbreakable people, who know how to stop, look, and listen. Say that after me. Stop, look, and listen. When it was clear a major issue was facing this early church, you know what they did? They stopped what they were doing and convened a meeting to talk about the problem. Paul and Barnabas were, were, were quite a distance away. And they thought the issue that was being brought to them was so important that they needed to consult the apostles and the elders back in Jerusalem. And so they endured an arduous journey to put the issue on the table. What they basically did is they stopped what they were doing in Antioch among the Gentiles to deal with this issue. They made space and time for what was truly important. Now, I've been in ministry a long time. I know, I know I only look 40, but I've been in ministry a long time. I have met with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. People with hard issues. And it's a privilege always to sit with people like that. It's a big step for somebody to reach out and even ask for a little bit of help. But oftentimes, reaching out is only the first step. Sometimes in order to fix what's broken, an even bigger commitment is needed. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It could be a marriage on the rocks, a need to heal from a divorce, a disruptive teenager in the home, an illness, a financial setback. There's always a second or third or fourth step that somebody needs to take. It's a step that demands some sacrifice, some adjustments of the calendar. It might mean disappointing friends, backing out of commitments. In other words, some step that requires a person to press the stop button of their life. To stop long enough. To do something else. To stop long enough to breathe and reassess. And you'd be amazed how many times people say, I can't stop my life right now. I just can't do that. And I look at them and say, even if it means the healing of your marriage, or bringing your family back together, or your mental health. And they look at me and they say, no. And I say, well, why? And the excuses are so interesting. They'll say, I, if, if I went to that seminar you want me to go to, I'd have to miss 
a kid's soccer game. That's my weekend out with the girls. I can't miss that. That counseling appointment messes with my tea time. That's impossible for me to break. And instead of choosing to heal, oftentimes people stick with patterns of behavior and communication that are making them unhappy and ineffective. There's a refusal to stop. Sometimes when I've worked with families, and man, families are hard, right? How many of you have had hard family issues? I believe lots of you have had that. And I've done it this at times when people come in, it's a husband and a wife or a mom and a teenage daughter, and you could just see the patterns of communication are really hard. What I do is I try to break that cycle, and what I do is I ask them to breathe deeply and then start talking about the issue again by putting their chairs together and holding hands. And all of a sudden, the climate changes. There's something about touch that cools people down oftentimes. And they stop one pattern of behavior and begin another. And the healing begins. I've often urged people who are in conflict to monitor their emotions carefully. When they start getting agitated, I urge them to take an ATO. Do you know what an ATO is? It's an adult timeout. You just take an adult timeout. And only to come back to the discussion when they feel they're calm or able to listen and speak. Well, and speak in ways that would actually honor God. Here's what happens. When we press the stop button, we create space. Space enough so that God can show up and reveal himself to you. Where new communication patterns can be learned. Where relationships can be renewed. Where prayer can replace worry. And that is a good place. And when we stop, we give ourselves the margin to look and to listen. This is a picture of me with my granddaughter, Molly Grace Murphy. She's the smaller of the two of us. She lives in Holland, Michigan. Uh, my son serves as a, a children's director at a church up there. It's his firstborn. And we were out to eat there, and we were having a little conversation. And then because Molly loves ice cream, we decided to go over to an ice cream place so she could get her ice cream. And while we were there, I was talking to my son and my daughter-in-law, and Nita was there with us. We were having a great time. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice getting louder in my ear, about three feet away. And Molly was saying, Grumpa Murphy, <laughs> which I think is a great name, Grumpa Murphy. Grumpa Murphy, see me. <laughs> and she was climbing on something, but she said, Grumpa Murphy, see me. Well, isn't that the cry of most people? <laughs> people just want to be seen. You know what makes somebody a really great communicator? It's when you really see people. And you really don't see people until you believe that they have value. I learned a long time ago that nothing good happens when people know they are being respected, taken seriously, and listened to. And if they don't sense that, if they don't sense that, 
They will lie. They will scapegoat. They will hide out. They will run away. Because nobody wants anything to do with someone who doesn't respect them, take them seriously, and listen to them. And if you're having problems somewhere in your life with someone, ask yourself the question, am I taking that person seriously? Am I listening to them? Is respect coming through? Do you see people as having an intrinsic worth because they are made in the image and likeness of God? Oh, we'll give lip service to that, but do we really believe it? Do we show deep respect for those we deeply disagree with? Do we listen well to what someone on the opposite side of the political fence is telling us? Or are we secretly dismissive of them because they are not like us? Do we take the needs of those who are crying out in the world seriously? Or do we discount them? Because we've already formed an opinion about, about their point of view or those who represent them, and we don't like it, and we don't listen to the cries of people all over the world that are trying to get our attention. But the Council of Jerusalem, all the folks around the table, I believe this, needed to see everyone there as having worth, that they had dignity, that they had value, even those who were arguing a different point of view. After all, after all, they had learned this from the master himself. I'm sure at this council, they found themselves listening to their own history with Jesus. I'm sure someone asked this question. How do you think Jesus would want the Gentiles to be treated? And possibly they all took out their WWJD bracelets and put them on. Because that's what we always have to do, right? I'm sure they found themselves saying things like this. We have to pay attention to Jesus. What he said, how he acted, what he wanted, what he called us to, that's the beginning point for everything for us. And it's got to be the beginning point for us. If we get involved in a discussion and we're just spouting off, and we're just giving our opinion, and we don't go back and ask ourselves, I wonder what Jesus would want me to do in this particular situation. We are on a path that's bad, and it's ugly. And, but I'm sure these apostles, these elders, as they sat around discussing this, they remembered the call of Christ to go into all the world to make disciples of all people. And they remember Jesus sparring with the Pharisees and touching the unclean lepers and being in earnest conversation with a Samaritan and a woman at that. They had all kind of evidence that said clearly, in his own way, Jesus wasn't afraid to break away from popular opinion, tradition, and even what the Old Testament had to say at times. In the process of listening, a policy was formed by the early church. The policy was this. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. The Holy Spirit has come to them. They're all right. Did everyone agree? Probably not. I'm sure some people left disgruntled. But they came to some sort of consensus, and the church began to thrive. And how did they do it? They stopped. Looked each other in the eye. Stayed the course. They listened. 
It's what we need to do. That's what the world is looking for. The world is looking for people that will stop, look, and listen. Saturday morning, I woke up. I spoke Saturday night, and I had a whole different ending to this uh, talk, and I ripped it up. I want to tell you a story, because I felt like this needed to get personal. Some of you have heard this story before, and if you have, just go with me on this. Maybe there's a new learn from it for you. As many of you know, a few years ago, uh, I had a marriage of 31 years come to an end. just came crashing down. And it was hard, it was ugly, it was painful. Grateful for our church that investigated appropriately and stood with me. But it was a hard, hard time. And being a guy... uh, I didn't let anybody in on this. I just stayed with my pain and started myself going into this dark hole. I lived in Evanston at the time, commuting from Evanston to Oak Brook and back. And I had a dinner scheduled with a friend of mine, and my friend's name is Ron. We were meeting up in Wilmette, a place called Myers Tavern. Have you ever been there? Great burgers and tater tots, <laughs> right? TVs all around to watch games. Just kind of one of those places, a joint. And we're going to meet up just to get caught up, spend an hour together. And on the way up, I felt God just nudging me to tell Ron what was going on. And I thought that. I really didn't want to do that. I just wanted to do what guys all over the world do. Because Ron was going to ask me when I walked in, how are you doing? And I was going to say... I'm doing fine. (laughs) I'm doing fine. I was just to bury the pain. So we got there and we chit-chatted for a while and he said those words, how are you doing? And I said, Ron, I got to tell you the truth. This is what happened. This is what's happening. Now he knew me and my family. He even knew more than I thought he knew. But I said, Ron, it's all falling apart. I'm scared. I feel like my life is slipping out from under me. My family, what's going to happen to that? I'm worried. I work for a church. How is it going to be taken there? I had all this stuff going on in my life. And we talked. The hour stretched to an hour and a half, and then two hours stretched into three hours. We're sitting in the back of the place, eating, drinking, you know, uh, some Cokes and... and uh, some tears were shed. I'm sure we were, we were suspect, you know, as people were looking at what's going on back there, two guys crying. And I remember when it was all over, I just thought, well, that's it. I let it go. And Ron said some magic words to me. He says, I'm not going to let you go through this alone. I am not going to let you go through this alone. I said, Ron, you're so busy. He says, I don't care. He says, I will stop some things in order to be with you. And we're going to recruit another guy to come alongside of you because you are not going to go through this alone. What Ron did for me was this. He looked at me in the midst of my pain and my sin and my frailties, and he says, 
I'm with you. I believe in you. I have something for you that will help you face your fears. And he says, I'm willing to stop, look, and listen into your life in order for you to get the healing you need and to make things right where they need to be made right. He saw me. He listened. And it was an encouragement to me. I want to be a church where I can count. I want to be in a church where I can count on people stopping, looking, and really listening. And you know what? I want to be that kind of person for you. I know our pastoral staff wants to be that kind of person for you. Because no, you know why we do? Because that's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ at work. It's unbreakable. It's the body of Christ at its best. And I want in on that. I bet you do too. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here in this place where just by coming into this building, we're able to stop, to sit back, to look around and to listen to what you have for us. Lord, help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to be who you want us to be. We pray this all in your name and all God's people said, amen.